This podcast was produced by members of the Pinsker Centre Policy Fellowship 2020-2021. The Pinsker Centre is a think tank which focuses on global foreign policy while promoting freedom of speech and fighting intolerance. If you'd be interested in learning more about our work, follow the Pinsker Centre on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Applications for the 2021-2022 Fellowship Programme will open in the spring. Hello and welcome back to our podcast. My name is Ariella and I'm here today with Angus and Sarah to discuss cryptocurrencies, the good, the bad and the ugly. What are they? What particular features have made them so popular? And what dangers might they pose? Without further ado, let's get started. So what are cryptocurrencies, anyone, and why why have they become so popular? Yeah, I mean, I think they're a pretty interesting form of like digital asset, I think is a general grouping that we put crypto currencies under and fundamentally they're a digital asset and a medium of, a, of exchange that uses sort of advanced sort of cryptographic techniques to try and safeguard all of these transactions and the cryptocurrency uses a form of sort of distributed ledger technology I think is the term for it and this is what is commonly known as as blockchain which is basically just like a huge data archive that's continually expanding and re- records every single transaction that's ever taken place on a particular form of cryptocurrency and each of these uh, particular blocks are timestamped to record each of these transactions. I mean, there's loads of other parts of it, such as crypto wallets. So if you guys feel free to comment on the aspects of how cryptocurrency functions, go ahead. So yeah, really quite fascinating. Adam Greenfield in his book, uh, Radical Technologies, talking about cryptocurrency, he says it's just fundamentally difficult for otherwise intelligent and highly capable people to understand. And I think that's entirely true. I mean, it, it's quite difficult to get your head around. There are so many different aspects of it and so many different facets. One of the things that I found really interesting is that for most cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin is one of the most uh, well-known, but there are, there are a number of others. And for most of them, the idea is that there are only ever going to be a certain number of units created of the currency in all of time. And therefore, we will eventually reach a point where cryptocurrency, uh, in theory, will be like other commodities such as gold and precious metals, where trading will be more, more akin to that rather than, I don't know, like a central banking system where people will be uh, will be using it purely as a currency. And that, that could be really interesting. And I, I think that speaks to why they're so popular at the moment. I think people I know, and I'm, I've read as well on online, people are jumping at the opportunity to, to invest in these cryptocurrencies because they seem as a, like a really good and an almost easy opportunity to uh, increase savings or value of people's money at the moment. And that's quite interesting. And um, I, I think there are a number of other reasons why it, it's so popular at the moment. What do you guys think about why the popularity has increased? Because I think it definitely has over the past five or so years. Yeah, I mean, I would say I think we both we kind of all touched on and probably our explanation as well speaks to the fact of how complex and confusing these are for the layperson. I think part of that has led to its popularity in the sense that we don't quite understand what it is, but we just see how volatile these prices are and how they seem to be soaring and people want to get in on it now. So I think that's part of the reason they're rushing. I mean, you hear all these stories like 2010, someone bought a pizza for 10,000 Bitcoin, which is now like, you know, worth a crazy amount of money. Or I don't know if you guys saw this man who lost his USB drive with all these Bitcoin on, and he was going to pay the landfill 52 million pounds to try and retrieve this disc, which is now worth, 
you know, three times that amount of money. So I think people see how much it's going up in value and they want to get in on that. I think two other things that we'll probably come on and touch on a bit later in some of the other questions is the fact that it's decentralized. So there's the sense that it's untraceable. It's more secure. You don't have to go through the central banks, which I think people like. Those would be my reasons. I think it's become so popular. Absolutely. The attraction for individuals is quite obvious. And as you say, there's at, at the moment, it's become extremely popular. And the unknown aspect is adding to that. What about businesses though and and larger corporations do we think there's space for or or likelihood that businesses will seek to invest in cryptocurrency or maybe i've heard that starbucks and facebook could be flirting with potentially even starting their own cryptocurrency i'm not entirely sure how that would work but there are clearly some big benefits of doing so so how would you compare the kind of attraction for individuals to businesses and what are the attractions for big businesses and corporations yeah, so sort of touching on the attraction to individuals just a bit more, I think there's almost a tension there with the attraction for corporations, because obviously cryptocurrencies have a kind of very strong libertarian foundation in them that sort of feeds into this sort of mentality that was almost at the foundation of some of the original sort of Silicon Valley companies as well. This idea of information just wants to be free, as well as sort of the, even in some ways the rise of rise of the hacker as well so I think there's an interesting tension between the involvement of big business in it and the underpinning libertarian foundations of currencies themselves I mean obviously in terms of big business we've all heard of Elon Musk investing in cryptocurrencies and I think he touched on Facebook with I think it's the Libra I'm not entirely sure how to say it also wanting to get off the ground so obviously there is traction for these companies these big sort of more monopolistic companies to have this other aspect of them and getting involved in this digital asset. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point that you pick up on there. The fact that there's this tension between the liberal foundations of the coin and kind of what it's become and how corporations are getting involved. A couple of things I would say in terms of the benefits for big businesses, there's the fact that there's no middleman. So transaction fees are lower. It's easier to do big transactions, international transactions as well. And kind of those are some practical benefits for businesses. But what I've been reading about businesses getting involved, one writer that I really like, Hugo Rifkin, who's a columnist for The Times, he's been writing about, I mean, he actually invested in Bitcoin back in 2012, I think. So he's been writing about it for ages. And it's funny now reading his articles from 2012, but he's explaining it in its infancy. And he quotes that pizza story. And I think at the time, the pizza was worth like £400,000. And now it's well over billions. So you just see, you know, what was thought of as crazy at the time has become even crazier. But he was saying exactly as you're saying, Sarah, that you have this initial Bitcoin was invented as a result of the financial crash. They wanted to take power away from governments, from banks, decentralized currencies. But now what's happened is, say, in the FT earlier this year, they write 2020 is the year that Bitcoin went institutional. And actually now you've got companies like JP Morgan and all these banks are ending up investing back into this currency. So actually the question of can it both advantage the individual and be this libertarian idea and at the same time benefit corporations? Absolutely. I, I think it will be really interesting to see, um, as you say, Ariel, whether individuals are deterred from investing in cryptocurrency. Because from what I can see at the moment, as you say, there's these businesses are coming out, creating their own cryptocurrencies, talking about investing in them. Elon Musk is coming in, out and saying that he's his company, Tesla, is investing billions in Bitcoin. Yet, the demand for cryptocurrencies still seems to be on the rise, even among individuals. And this is particularly true in low income and, and quite politically turbulent countries, which I found really fascinating. 
There's a website called TradingView, which itself is one of the 100 most uh, visited websites in the world. And people traditionally went there to, to search for um, stocks and assets and to determine what they were going to invest in. But the people using the, the website for cryptocurrency searches in countries such as Cuba, Libya, Ukraine has shot up in recent years to well over, I think one example I saw, over 50% of searches in Cuba were for cryptocurrency as opposed to others, which will be for stocks and the traditional uses. And I think that's really quite fascinating how individuals are still being drawn to these currencies. What about this untraceable aspect of cryptocurrencies? Because as you said, for businesses, this is potentially an attraction, but certainly for individuals who are skeptical about kind of government interference in their lives, cryptocurrencies are supposedly anonymous, um, although that might not be true. Um, I think a term better used to describe them is pseudonymous, because there is actually maybe, uh, Sarah, you can talk a little bit more about this. There is actually a way for people eventually to determine where a transaction came from. Otherwise, there would be a whole raft of problems um, about double transactions, etc. So how's this untraceable aspect? I'm encouraging people or even deterring people from investing in, in cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I mean, I almost feel that the biggest misconception about cryptocurrencies are that they render anyone engaging in transaction with them totally anonymous when in fact it may offer a, like an alternative means of electronic like value exchange a bit like cash electronic transfers but they they fall short on this sort of an anonymous nature which again as I mentioned previously was one of the sort of ideas around crypto capitalism but actual I think specifically bitcoin isn't fully anonymous as you say pseudonymous and there are several ways in which to trace these transactions which in some ways are a boon for perhaps people combating financial crime as well as even intelligence agencies who want to follow specific transactions and sort of the main ways they try to trace these transactions is a few through almost like a third party way of doing it because if you're trying to have anti-money laundering restrictions that means you have to, when you're setting up a Bitcoin exchange, add more details to it rather than just purely your sort of Bitcoin address, which is basically just a random hash of numbers and, and letters. So therefore, through that additional information, your transactions can be traced, as well as, as I briefly mentioned earlier with the idea of blockchain, the whole chain of every single transaction is available in a public ledger, which you can download through uh, almost many websites such as Blockchain Info or Blockchain Explorer and basically just check it out in your web browser. I mean, there are other more other ways of, of making transactions traceable through logging IP addresses and like intercepting transactions from internet service providers. So in some ways, using these digital currencies is actually more transparent for some people wanting to trace transactions than is sometimes made out to be. But I think that was Bitcoin, but there are other currencies such as I think like Zcash and Monero that have these sort of private ledgers which aren't downloadable. There's been more of a, a backlash from sort of I think from government organizations and wider bigger businesses trying to get involved in those particular ones to try and make them less anonymous and more pseudonymous so closer to closer to Bitcoin. I mean there's loads of other dimensions to the privacy aspect of cryptocurrencies. So any thoughts on that? You talked about governments being essentially skeptical or there being issues if transactions are completely anonymous and that raises lots of questions particularly around hacking and how criminal organizations may seek to exploit the anonymity of cryptocurrency i was reading that uh, certainly the us government and, and i'm sure several others have been flirting with the uh, idea of 
cracking down on cryptocurrencies in some way. Not entirely sure how how that would transpire. But this taps on on a a, a larger issue, which is how not just criminal organizations, but also even larger scale groups such as terrorist organizations may seek to exploit cryptocurrencies or, or deploy them themselves. And I know that the US had a, I think back in August 2020, they uncovered cryptocurrencies that were being, cryptocurrency accounts that were being um, utilized by groups such as Al-Qaeda, Hamas and ISIS to transfer money or for people to transfer money to these organizations. Um, so this taps into a, into a few issues itself. Firstly, cryptocurrency is clearly not completely anonymous because the US government were able to hack into these terrorist organizations' accounts. But also this is potentially very problematic if it is very difficult for the government to survey. So why do terrorist groups and other criminal groups seek to exploit cryptocurrencies? And should the government, what should the government be doing about it? I mean, the second part of that question, what should the government be doing about it, is much harder to answer. I remember when the Trump-Biden election was going on, there was a lot of talk about, or even once Biden was inaugurated, talk about Biden trying to crack down on these Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. But as you say, what on earth that means, nobody knows, or maybe somebody knows, I don't know. But in terms of why terrorist organizations want to deploy these cryptocurrencies, that's pretty obvious. I mean, first of all, you've mentioned already untraceable, all the rest of it. That enables things like trafficking of drugs, weapons, other dark web sort of goods that are very beneficial, in particular weapons for these terrorist groups. So they can do that through the means of cryptocurrencies and exchange those. And even though, as we've said, it's not quite anonymous, it's pseudonymous, nonetheless, it's much, much easier than going through banks, obviously. And cash isn't always an option if you're doing international trades. Also, in terms of, there was a report brought out by RAND, which is a political think tank. And they were saying, quite interestingly, that supporters of terrorist organizations, who are obviously a minority group, but nonetheless an important group to consider, are more likely to give support through the form of cryptocurrency than they are in form of cash, because they're worried about potential ramification and tracing and all the rest of it. So they actually be either donating cryptocurrencies or doing trades through cryptocurrencies as a way of giving financial support without kind of having to fear repercussions or being tracked or their money being tracked back to them. In terms of kind of how worried we have to be, the report didn't seem that worried yet because cryptocurrency is still quite hard for these organizations to use. And often if you want to actually cash out the money and spend it, in most of the countries where these organizations are operating, there are very few crypto ATMs, like Bitcoin ATMs, which we've seen now in Europe. So they're actually having a hard time using that money. But it's definitely something that should be on our radar, I would say. Certainly. So, Sarah, do you have any thoughts about the, the terrorist exploitation or other groups? Yeah, I was just going to sort of just touch a tiny bit on what, what was just, just said, but often the amounts that are transferred by terrorist groups are so small to make them as less as untraceable as possible but it's not actually often their main method of finance depending on depending on the group so it's just more like a sort of hybrid method of finance between traditional sort of cash money laundering and then these these other donations and I think it was also talks about how this is used to get around regulations and things and I think that sort of brings us nicely on how not only non-state actors are using cryptocurrencies but also this is quite a strong thing for state actors to use so I think there's sort of three groups of states sort of fall into in their use of cryptocurrencies so they sort of some of them have tried to ban them outright 
some of them have attempted to try and regulate cryptocurrencies. And obviously, I think groups will probably focus on leading on from the previous question is that they use to try to circumvent sanctions. So sanctioned states or the club of sanctioned states. So like Russia, Venezuela, Iran, North Korea. These are very popular, more authoritarian regimes to keep their regimes in power as well as its way of method of finance. So yeah, if you guys have any thoughts on how the state actors as well as the non-state actors are using cryptocurrencies. Certainly. I think it's quite interesting how some of these authoritarian regimes, as you just mentioned, are seeking to deploy cryptocurrency and in particular as a way to get around sanctions being implemented on them from other Western countries. I know that Iran recently developed its own cryptocurrency uh, and in an an attempt, I'm not entirely sure how successful it was, but to circumvent the US sanctions that were placed on it not so long ago. Venezuela has, I think, tried, uh, I think in vain, though, to to launch its own cryptocurrency. I I don't think this is a particularly easy exploit for states to do, but in a similar vein, in in an attempt to uh, usurp sanctions placed on them by Washington. And I think that's quite interesting. I think another aspect of this, if we're talking about authoritarian regimes, and this is where it gets quite complex, and I think quite morally or ethically challenging for Western governments when they're deciding um, how to approach this topic, is that while authoritarian regimes themselves may seek to uh, exploit cryptocurrencies, they can actually, cryptocurrencies can actually be quite positive for the people in the authoritarian regimes themselves. So I know that in Russia, for example, I was reading, a critic of, of Vladimir Putin was saying that cryptocurrencies are a great way for people to donate to opposition parties when they otherwise would have been very sceptical of doing so using traditional banking because they would think that the government is going to crack down on them. But because cryptocurrencies are more anonymous, if not totally, then this provides them with a, a more safe opportunity to engage in politics and trying to hold the government to account without putting their own security at risk. So I think there are definitely two sides to this cryptocurrency coin. I couldn't agree more. That's been really interesting. Thank you both. I think just kind of as volatile as the currency is itself, it seems that this is something that's constantly changing. I wonder if we listen back to this podcast in five years, whether anything that we've said today will hold true or whether all our claims will be proven false. But it's definitely something that we should be looking out for. So thank you. And uh, join us again for our next podcast. Thanks a lot.